This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Whakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. How is life in Whakatani today? It's good. It's been a really lovely day. Um, I've been working with some really cool young people who have got some significant uh, language barriers in that they are so dyslexic that they cannot read and um, Mm. so I've been working with them helping them with their driver's license and one of them passed today and the other one will pass tomorrow so I'm feeling really excited about that that sounds very cool it is and who are we introducing today it is a great pleasure today to introduce Celia Wade Brown Celia um, as people will know was the mayor of Wellington Um, She grew up in London, came to New Zealand, became the mayor, probably did some other things in between, and is now living on the edge of the wilderness very happily. Welcome, Celia. Thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Nice to have you both here. Um, Tēnā tēnā koroa. Kia ora. Where are you, Celia? I'm at the edge of the Tararua Forest Park, um, inland from Carterton in the Wairarapa looking out at beautiful bit of dock estate. That sounds like a nice place to be in your bubble life. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, the loudest noises at night are the ruru and in the what wakes me up in the morning, apart from a cup of coffee, are the bellbirds, the kōrimāko. So how was your bubble life last year? Well, it was weird. Um, I was actually travelling just before lockdown, I was doing the big bike ride from Cape Ranger to Bluff. And I remember getting the ferry over and the ferry was the emptiest I'd ever seen it going across Cook Strait. And I thought, maybe I shouldn't be catching this ferry. But I pedaled on, pedaled on through some fairly tough stuff. And um, then it became obvious we're going to go into lockdown. So my youngest son came and rescued me at Maruia Springs. So it's quite nice, you know, having, you know, you help your kids one way or another and to actually have him to drive over from Christchurch and pick me up was fantastic. And were you working during lockdown? I'm on a couple of boards. So we had some board meetings and it's interesting that those first um, Zoom meetings because because I've been involved in quite a few not-for-profits. We've always done, you know, monthly meetings and so on by phone or Zoom or things like that because there's no money to fly and maybe we didn't want to fly anyway. Um, Whereas some of the big corporate um, players are used to getting their um, 
spending their time uh, in the Coro Lounge and then flying somewhere for a two-hour meeting. So I found that um, those of us that have been involved in not-for-profits are much more comfortable with some of the Zoom stuff. Oh, it's really interesting. And all of a sudden, all those people that were flying around all over the place have discovered that in many cases they didn't need to. Maybe the the big yeah. barriers to flying have, have gone away now. Well, I think the... I think it's very timely with the threats that climate change poses. Now, I'm not someone that says nobody should ever fly again. I think family reunions from time to time and um, certainly youngsters doing their OE, it would be very sad if they didn't get to experience other cultures firsthand. But that feeling that you need to have a holiday abroad every year is just ridiculous. And, uh, and, and as you say, I think... Yeah, work is interesting because it's quite hard to fully trust and be comfortable with someone if you've never met them. If you've met them once, you can carry on with the Zoom thing, but to meet them the first time, mm, don't know. Celia, let's go to the first of your music choices. Let's have a piano piece by Eric Sati. I think that's how you're going to pronounce it. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. Why this one? something that is always very soothing and sometimes there's so many things going on in life and you just need a bit of peace and calm and this bit of music I first heard it when I was at university um, in Nottingham and it's always stayed with me just love it
you have a community around you? Where did you say? Outside Carterton on the edge of the Tararuas? Yeah, um, we've actually had this bit of land for years and years, but we used to use escape from the city here, and now it's sort of home. Um, so we've got to know a number of the neighbours, and um, I know some of the people on the different councils in the Wairarapa. So you know, the more you get involved with things, the more people you know that, that are interesting and share values. Like we've got, we've started a crop swap in Carterton, and we're working on a repair cafe, and I started the Wairarapa Walking Festival. So great. I mean, these are, I mean, they're voluntary things, but they're a great way to get to know the place and get to know nice people. And there's some fantastic people here. Um, people have got really interested in the Maori heritage of the area. So um, we've got two main iwi here, Rangitani and Kahununu Kiwararapa. And they're very involved. And I was just fantastic last year. The best, um, the best attended walk was cultural heritage walk. So, and this was mostly Pākehā people going along. They wanted to know what are the stories of the area? What are the stories of the Rua Mahanga River? Um, yeah, why is it called Wairarapa? Things like that. It's just really interesting. We've just had a our proposal accepted for the Wild Dunedin Festival in, I, th- I think it's in April next year. We're doing a, a swimming nature tour. We're taking people oh. out on on the harbour swimming. It's, it's quite short. It's only like 400 metres or something around one of the little islands. And we, we think we can have about four people along the way doing a little commentary on on the, the geology and on the seaweeds and on the birds and the something else, or the vegetation on the island. Um, so there's mm-hmm. an idea for you that you could have swimming around Wairarapa. But we have to do it first. Yeah, yeah. They, well, I, I will credit you with the thought, but we had one of the funnest walks in our little trial last year was a stream bed walk. Um, there were about 20-something of us age from, you know, I think 10 or 12 was the youngest, through to people in their 70s. And um, this 70-year-old woman said to me afterwards, I haven't paddled in a stream since I was a kid. And she'd had such fun. And it's all, for me, it's all about reconnecting people with nature. It's good for them. And it means that they might take more um, thoughtful action about the planet. We've had several people on the show recently talking about things like um, eco-sanctuaries. And then we had somebody last week talking about an urban eco-sanctuary. And we ended up talking about the the risks of people thinking that nature is out there somewhere, it's behind a fence, it's nice and protected. But actually, it's about our cities, that that, that we are nature. Yes. Yes. And, you... and it's very interesting kind of urban planning that needs to change. Um, I'm involved with something called the Biophilic Cities Network, which is about the love of nature and the idea that you shouldn't have to drive 50 kilometres to see nature, that it should be... There should be lizards on the rooftops and um, native vegetation on your green walls. And it, it also is a way of managing city infrastructure differently so that um, instead of having ever bigger and bigger concrete pipes that cost more and more and are a pig after an earthquake, you actually have more natural drainage and permeable surfaces. But it's very hard to do the changes fast enough on the district plan and consultation and people objecting and oh 
I, I did get to... a bit frustrated at times with local government. <laughs> I've got a friend who is the chair, I think is his job title, of the Environment Centre at the University of Toronto. And they've got a new building which is regenerative um, to the extent that it, the more it's used, the more fresh water it produces. Um, and it's it's got a it's got a positive impact on the grid and so on, and it's actually a bit of a challenge for the city in thinking about how to manage something that has a positive impact. Yeah, that that changes your the concept of development contributions for sure. There's thinking going on like that, but the rules and some of the older developers are a bit behind the eight ball on on those developments. But I think it's so encouraging that. You can not just try to do less harm, but you can do more good. And that's why I think predator-free around the country has taken off so much, because people can see a small change they're doing in their neighbourhood making a real difference. And, they're sudden, and, and that coincided with lockdown. That big move of predator-free Wellington and then spending time at home meant people could deal with their own traps. They could see geckos. They could see... Kariaria, Kerugu, um, Hihi, all sorts of things, in, certainly in Wellington, um, not just within the Zealandia sanctuary. And everybody's... No, it's been, it's been exciting. Everyone's talking about the fact that there were more birds, more so last year because we were in lockdown through, so had such a great late summer. But everybody said that the, that the birds were making much more noise than, than usual. And it doesn't really matter if they weren't, just the fact that people were noticing was a was a big win. It's good as long as the only downside is if if people think, oh well, my local park, I can see lots of kereru, so actually the world's all right. I mean, we do have to look at some of the scientific evidence for the great biodiversity losses as well, and it's not a not a happy story. It's sort of the global stats and the New Zealand of dotterels and fairy terns and Maui dolphins can be a bit depressing but if you do something about it not just your own life but try and change the rules you can feel better about it. That's been one of the big debates in sustainability education for the longest time is to how much do you front load with doom? Do How much do you have to put up pictures of polar bears on shrinking ice flows to get their attention to do something or do we take as much more of a transition town type approach and get on with living a better life i think different people react differently that was probably one of the biggest lessons from being on the city council now when you're working sometimes you will work with people who are quite like you and your family you've got similar experiences but when you go into local government both the general public and the people you're working with have got really different viewpoints and that's why I would say there's no one answer you have to do you have to see what works for that that person for some people I mean like your dyslexic kids they're not going to get it from reading a book but they might get it from music and they'll certainly get it for going swimming and seeing the either the crayfish or the lack of crayfish yeah that's the most scary thing I do is scuba diving. And uh, my son got me into that. Um, he was very keen to learn when he was, um, I think he was about 12. And we learned to scuba dive before the reserve went in, in Island Bay, in Tapataranga Marine Reserve. And then we went afterwards. And that was just 
such a transformation over the years. So it can be quite local. The theme of this show is positive but not deluded. Where do you sit on that kind of being positive, but also it's got to have that critical, as you say, it's there's there's not a happy story going on out there, but we don't just want to depress ourselves. We want to, to do stuff. Well, I think we're here for a limited period, you know, whatever happens. And if an asteroid blotted us all out tomorrow, it would be a pity that we hadn't enjoyed our, I don't know, whether it's a toasted cheese sandwich or the sound of the grey warbler, whether it's smelling the um, terrata flowers or whether it's going for a walk with your mate. We need to, we, we, it would be most tragic if we didn't enjoy ourselves at all. But at the same time, we need to be mindful of the effect we're having. So I guess I'm, I think it, it, it would be a complete waste if those of us who have potential for a good life didn't, enjoy it and just beat ourselves up all the time but it's also a waste if you think think just putting out the recycling is going to fix the planet um we've got news for you and that leads on to my next question which was about the old maxim of thinking global and acting local but also that individual what the responsibility of the individual You've had an interesting experience of having that, you know, practice at that whole of community level, communities level. Do you think that there's a sweet spot for for action that actually makes a real difference? I think, again, I think it's different for different people. Um, But being part of a collective gives people strength. Um, One of the places that is my inspiration is in Lower Hutt in Nainai which is not, in general, a wealthy area, and the remakery in Nainai, where they grow food for school lunches. They rent out bikes, and the price of the rental is an hour's volunteering, and that rents you a bike for a whole month. And they repair things, and they do things, and they, um, they've worked with the Rebataka prison to get the prisoners gardening and supplying food. So... It's a whole of community thing, and you know you can't do everything, but your your little bit is not a selfish little bit. It's part of a bigger whole. Um, I, I also think that I get a little bit frustrated with politicians that want to be perfect in their personal life. Like, it's much better to do mostly the recycling, drive the healthiest car you can, recognize that as a politician sometimes you're going to have to fly somewhere and sometimes you're going to have to make the best of a bad decision it's better to be actually changing the district plan i mean i remember i was on council in 94 when we finalized our district plan and we actually protected some of the outer town belt the town belt itself already had an act but the outer town belt you know nio kandala some of those areas and that's probably an effect on urban densification and compact living and the ability to walk and cycle distance-wise much bigger than if I'd said, oh, I need to cycle every single trip I ever make. So that's a sort of, that's a sort of balance. But it's no fun if it's all theory and no practice either. And, and, and the other thing is people, 
need to move away from the idea that living lightly, living sustainability is, is miserable, is giving up. I mean, it's not. It's fun. It, cycling downhill or with a southerly behind you, belting into town is a lot of fun. Eating your own, I don't know, your own raspberries or strawberries or something is delicious, not just reducing transport. So I'm a great one. Maybe I'm a bit of a head in this, but I think we should take pleasure in our lives. But it's a it's a hard ask to get people to stop the overconsumption when when that's fun. And you're saying that there is something which is or we're saying that there is something which is also fun or perhaps more fun that's lighter. We don't have much yeah. we don't have much to go on. Well, I think people have been discovering that from themselves in the lockdown. Um there's so many more people walking and walking locally, not feeling that they have to, you know, go on a weekend away to, I mean, I'm sure Fakatane or Dunedin have got lovely walks, but people in the Wairarapa can do lovely walks in the Wairarapa. And I think that's been a, it's sort of obvious, but people didn't find it so. The fact they can't go anywhere else on holiday meant they rediscovered their local area and enjoyed it. And they didn't have to wait here. They didn't have to spend a lot of money on an air ticket. They didn't have to queue for ages at customs. They didn't have to wonder what the food was going to be like when they got there, all of those things, right? I think we can just enjoy a, a little bit of a simpler, slower pace of life. But it's probably quite tricky if you haven't had the chance to try other things as well. I mean, I'm very much loving living on the edge of the wilderness and not traveling very much at the moment. But I'm very aware that I was very privileged and have traveled a lot around the world. So, yeah, it's it's not easy for people to give up something they've never had. I saw a billboard in Durham, maybe it was Newcastle in the UK, and it said it had a, a large lump of sacks of coal and it said, travel to New Zealand, this much coal. Travel to the to the Lake District, this much coal. And that was clearly, I mean, they, they were clearly advertising traveling locally. But I don't think we've realized how much the people in the Northern Hemisphere are onto this. I have so many friends in Scandinavia in particular who have decided they're never flying again. And this is a conversation yeah. that yeah. we've tried to have in New Zealand and no one was interested. But all of a sudden, we've discovered that, it's actually quite a different country without tourists. And, and maybe it's a doable thing. I think it's, I think it's about flying less. Um, I I'm, tend to be a person of boring moderation rather than black and white views. Um, the other thing in Scandinavia, it's easy to hop on a train. I really appreciate what they've done in France. I think they've actually banned short flights that are easily swappable with a train. New Zealand could be uh, pretty isolated. If I, Let's take our artists. If they don't ever travel and other people don't come and exhibit here, that could be a little narrowing. But they don't have to go off every, every month. You know, it's, it's about moderation. Like the Venice Biennale, I can't imagine that going totally virtual. But maybe it could. Maybe it could. Maybe I'm not imaginative enough and it's certainly maybe it's something we say not forever but for the next 10 years we 
take maybe one flight. But still a hell of a lot of resources going into flying. And there are other things, so, so many other things. And it's, um, you know, to think about flying and then somebody will say, well, what about mining or what about agriculture or what about um, trucks? And I guess the thing is, in general, we do all need to consume a bit less, especially the rich countries. The poor countries are already, and, and the poor people within rich countries are already consuming quite a lot less. Um, I remember Jeanette Fitzsimons, who's one of my heroines, she um, wrote a little book called The Politics of Enough. And we're beginning to see that change in looking at economics. Um, Kate Raworth um, with Donut Economics. So that how do we manage it? So the people that don't have enough have good food and health care and the people who have plenty don't decide to have i don't know six more houses or six more cars or five more overseas holidays bubble sprite of the forest of orakanui dunedin's favorite goddess tahu mckenzie Kia ora koutou, nā mahi arohanui, kia koutou, kotahuaho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making things be thank you now as we know for the last nearly a year and 10 months we have been dealing with being part of this global pandemic every single day every single moment and of course it's so important that we acknowledge the stress and the strain this is meant for us on our nervous system for our ho order to nana for our health and well-being and of course, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, all of us are exhausted. And it's so important that we're kind to ourselves and each other in this difficult time to allow each other to feel the weight and the exhaustion and the grief and the pain of what we are going through. But also allowing ourselves to still gift and give ourselves what we need joy, love, excitement, inspiration, movement, community, all of these things that are so important to us. Connection, that we make sure they're still here. And whilst at times we can feel hopeless or like giving up, it's so important to acknowledge that we are all contributing every single day to making this new world even better for ourselves. As a species, we're so resilient, we're so adaptive, we're so creative. We always find a new way of being, doing, seeing, feeling that can help us get through. This is one of our great skills. And this is what we can all do together now. Find new ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling together so that we can get through and find that joy in our hearts, find that love that still surrounds us, appreciate the beauty of the world that is still here for us so we can enjoy it so i really hope for you today you're finding ways to really enjoy the world that surrounds you i'm talking to you from the side of the road on my way to my heart's home workplace Orokanui eco sanctuary gazing out across the landscape so many different colors and textures 
so many different stories in the land where people have, have been, where different lives have been, where different lives are now. And of course, all of this wonderful wisdom always surrounds us to be drawn from. So I hope that for you, you're able to see the beauty and the richness of the history that surrounds you. And I hope that this can inspire you to remember who you are, the descendant of a long line of survivors. Every life that has come before ours has made our life possible. And here we are all thanks to them, making life possible for all the lives around us now and the lives waiting to be born. Something I have realised over this time is that it's so important that I direct my love and my time and my energy in directions where it can be felt and appreciated, where I can see the difference that it's making and I can feel the reward of having directed it in that way. This means that I've had to change some of the ways that I would normally do things. This means that I've had to choose some projects over others but this has meant that I feel my energy is being directed in a constructive and helpful way both to me and those around me. So I really hope for you the learnings that are coming from this time are really helpful for you now and into the future and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. Thank you, Tahu. You are listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Celia Wade Brown. Celia, you were talking about the remakery just before, and I'd never actually heard of them. Um, while you and Sam were talking, I just quickly Googled and asked them uh, if they would come on the show uh, for an interview. What an incredible organization. It's fantastic. And it's an organization that really supports each other. Um, one of the original visionaries is a woman called Julia Milne, and she's still involved. But, you know, it's a little bit of a case in point. We need to support each other so that we don't burn out. Um, and when you found an organization, the temptation is to keep on giving and giving and giving. And sometimes we need to step back and find that if it's an important idea, other people will step up. And I, back in, let me think, 2002, I founded Living Street Aotearoa with a few other people. It's a walking advocacy organization because you know, you've got the Cycle Net Advocates Network, you've got the AA for cars, you've got the Road Transport Forum, but there's nothing promoting walking. And you know, people on foot are the lifeblood of towns and cities. You don't, you don't shop and go to, you, not many drive-in cafes and not many drive-in shops, there's a few. Um, and when I was thinking about running for mayor, I thought, I can't be president of this and run for mayor. Um, but so I stepped down and I gave people plenty of warning. And you know what? It's doing just fine. It's an important enough issue that there are people from the visually impaired world, from North Island, South Island, people who are passionate about footpaths or passionate about speed. and I still support the organisation, do a few little things, but it goes on without me, and that's wonderful. One thing I noticed the other day was um, we had uh, we've got this amazing mountain bike park in Fakatani called Onipu Mountain Bike Park, and we had a um, a work day where we you know fixed some berms and fixed some jumps and got ready for the new season, which starts tomorrow. And I looked at all the people I'm the sausage person that's my job I cook the sausages and um and I looked at all the people who came up for these sausages and I thought oh the last 
thing that I did publicly, which was a couple of weeks before that, it was the same people and nothing to do with biking. And, and then I cast my mind back to the thing before that, same people, nothing to do with that kaupapa either. And it's always the same people. And gosh, we take so much from them. Always I mean, the to same some To some extent, those, that's what they enjoy doing. I mean, quite often you get people who are involved in lots of things. But if there's a group of them, it's okay. It, it's when it's one person looking a bit vulnerable that you think, hmm, we need to get in there and support them. And tell them if it's important, somebody else will step up too. If it's only if you're the only person that thinks it's important, then perhaps it isn't. Celia, it's um, it's a beautiful thing to give in the way that our that so many people do around our country, and we really are a country that is built on that giving. That the, our volunteer sector is so strong, and. And I think, of, you know, from having worked with a lot of incredible people over the years, people like you, people like, you know, Julia from the Remakery, um, in them all is this incredible depth of imagination, this ability to imagine alternative future, and it, and it drives them. How did that happen for you? Where did that come from? For me, I was a great reader. I was brought up as an only child. As an adult, I found that I wasn't, and that's a whole other story about half-sisters and half-brothers. But we read a lot in the family, and I got very much, as a teenager, very much into science fiction, well, both science and science fiction. And I think science fiction is a fantastic training for imagining other scenarios, other planets, um, future situations, new inventions, all that sort of stuff. Um, one of my favorite writers is Ursula Le Guin, but I also like the sort of hard science fiction of Paul Anderson and things like that. Um, and when I was mayor, uh, I think I remember somebody saying to me, oh, well, you won't have time to read any novels. And I thought, I will wither up and die if I don't read novels. And it might have been at two in the morning, but I still, I, I love reading and, just seeing alternative viewpoints and it's good to read stories by people who are different from you. I've just um, finished reading um, a John Grisham book. It's his only non-fiction book that I know of about um, how innocent people were convicted and on death row and so on. And it's not something I really know anything about, but I know a little bit more now and I can put myself in somebody else's shoes a little bit. So yeah, imagination, the best thing, and, and I think probably for the younger generation, it might be watching um, movies more than reading, but movies, it's a bit more passive. When you're reading, you have to visualize it for yourself. So yeah, if you can get get youngsters reading and enjoying books, then um, also, or some way of, it might be, you know, maybe with more of the Maori heritage, it might be oratory and listening to oral stories. Um, and I've just begun to listen to podcasts and audio books so that I can do other things at the same time. Um, so yeah, fiction is really important. We are storytelling animals. Oh, um, I will always remember the first time that I watched a movie that I'd read the book first and that incredible disappointment to see the character and looking at it and saying, that is not the character in the book. And um and I and I hear a lot of children say that and I always have a little giggle to myself and I think most of us have had an experience like that where our imagination 
doesn't match someone else's imagination. And you're going, but, but, but. <laughs> and they missed out so many important bits. Yes, yes. I think uh, as I was just reading a little review of it's been 60 years since West Side Story. And there's an example where I guess we all know the Romeo and Juliet story. I saw that film very young with my um, with my grandmother and it was so good. We sat there and watched it in those days. You could. We sat there and watched it the second time, time round immediately. And that picture of New York and the modern dancing and so on, that just captivated me. And it was perhaps one of those few films that doesn't derive from directly from a book. I'm going to squeeze yeah. in the second of your music choices, Benet's Soaked. Why this one? Um, I don't listen to a lot of music on radio. I tend to be a boring old national radio listener. But um, living in the Wairapa and sometimes driving over the hill, sometimes catching the train over, um, I often listen to Music 101. And that introduced me to a whole range of of more up-to-date music. And I just loved Benet's voice. And I was quite excited by that whole project um, with the anthems in Tereo Māori. I thought that was a really wonderful initiative. And I was excited by the excitement of the singers and how they sort of wanted to do it. But it's like many of us starting our Tereo journey we know we've got the wrong accent. We've probably put the verb and the noun in the wrong order. And oh my goodness, um, all those three things, you know, the 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 queer korua, um, koto, or oh my goodness, is it mato, or uh, all of those things. But they had a guide to take them through it. Um, so I, I just really appreciated, I loved her voice, and I appreciated both the folked version and the Tereo version. My tongue is sealed within my mouth These certain words, they can't come out These thoughts are walking on their own Dancing around with no control
Celia, we've seen lots of change in society in the last couple of years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? <sighs> well, what I hope will stick is a general awareness that everybody has to do something about climate change and biodiversity. Those are the things that I hope will stick. What worries me is the polarisation of online debate. And the, it, in a way, today's news that National Party and Labour had come out with a joint um, planning policy was quite heartening. And you see what's happening in America with the Republicans blocking with the help of some idiotic Democrats just made it so partisan. And even in in the UK, which is getting more disunited by the day, um, it's fairly, in general, it's fairly tough. The left says this and the right says this. But then they came together when there was that awful um, murder of the MP. And he was a he was a Tory, but he was actually really strong on animal welfare, uh, which is an interesting combination. So I just hope that we can stop putting each other and ourselves into the really narrow boxes and only talking with people that share our views. Um, and I think some of the issues about vaccine hesitancy or fear of 5G and so on are because people have self-selected into a narrower and narrower group of people and they're only hearing things that reinforce what they already think. I'll tell you what, and I was there, I was very clear that there were quite a lot of people that didn't agree with me and didn't think the same with me. And, um, you know, that can be a bit frustrating sometimes, but it's, it's actually very healthy. But you have to have thick skin. Um, actually, I tried not to have too thick a skin. Because that means you sh that means you're saying they haven't got a point. Um, to try and see it from their point of view, um, and to try and understand why somebody might be being, you know, you could just dismiss somebody as being, well, they're just being bloody minded for the sake of it. Well, actually, people probably aren't being bloody minded for the sake of it. There will be have something happened in their life, their experience that you're triggering a problem with. And it might actually be nothing to do with the issue that's in front of you. It might be how you introduced it or that. I mean, I used to be, as a 17 and 18-year-old, extremely dismissive of people's views if they weren't mine. I would sort of shout and argue, and I, I hope I've learned a little bit since then. But uh, all of us listening to where people are coming from doesn't mean you have to agree with their conclusions. But people have got some reason for thinking as they do. Celia, I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time, so we shall have to wriggle through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, the biggest success has been setting up our um, live cameras because you can do a lot of rat trapping and possum trapping and it's sort of satisfactory to rack up the numbers, but I mean, they're sentient beings too, and I hope they're killed humanely, but we do want to get rid of them. But what's been just fantastic is getting this video footage of, um, in particular, Ruru. We've got some superb coverage of, of, of um, the bird actually eating, sitting on top of a fence post and eating what it's caught, and uh, it's just lovely. And 
we're also seeing more and more geckos in the house. So the very local success is that. Um, and the we have the initial Wairo Rapa Walking Festival in 2021, and that's going to be big, uh, bigger next year. It was just in Carterton District last year. Um, it's going to be much bigger next year. So those are a couple of things. And I'm also involved with Predator Free Wellington. And we're nearly, nearly there on Miramar Peninsula. But even so, the, no the numbers are down in the double digits of rats on the whole peninsula. And people are just seeing so many more geckos and insects and birds. It's just fantastic. So that feeling that, yes, we can do something about it. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty good. And um, I'm meeting Lindy McIntyre. She, she's another person you might enjoy um, interviewing if you haven't already done. Um, she brought the idea of the living wage um, up into general conversation. And I had a chat with her and said, well, how about council doing something? And I hadn't realized how many of our staff were below the living wage. Oh, the lifeguards, the security guards, the cleaners, all sorts of people were below the living wage. And uh, I think it's we, we're catching up um, in a couple of weeks' time. And such a pleasure to look back because that was a hell of a battle at council to get the living wage through. That was very, we had the Chamber of Commerce against us and we had um, a number of senior management against the elected members. Um, and I've just seen that the people that won the Nobel Peace Prize, not 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 peace. I'm one of the Nobel prizes for economics. That's right. Um, they've actually argued that it, real world experiments show that raising the minimum wage improves the economy. It does not result in more unemployment. So I feel doubly justified now. <laughs> So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? Oh, well, I don't know. That's a very hard question. What's my superpower? Um, it's probably an ability to see all sides of the story, but realize that you actually have to make a decision and that it won't please everybody. So, yeah, coming to a decision and, get it, and, and getting on with it would be a superpower. Round and round, consult and consult, and then you actually have to do something. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes, definitely. Proud to be an activist. Proud to um, engage with the real world. And I think that's the old serenity prayer, isn't it? and have the courage to try and change what you can change, um, be at peace with what you can't, and know with the difference. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Coffee. <laughs> um, I'm involved in lots of different things, so um, I find my life very interesting. Um, it's getting involved locally with people at the walking festival, um, knowing that I've got to go and check the trap, to see if there's any, any possums in there. Um, and I always have a treat for myself up my sleeve. And my current treat um, is I'm going to be going kayaking in the Marlborough Sounds. So um, that sort of balance of working with other people, seeing the natural world around me and having some kind of a treat up my sleeve. And I'm going to catch up with some friends in Golden Bay. Um, so I think if you don't have something to look forward to, 
especially when you have slightly less structured days, you can lose your way a little bit. And I'm, I may have the odd superpower, but I'm also very human that I can procrastinate and eat another peanut butter on toast and maybe go and make myself something yummy to eat that puts off the evil moment of getting on with things a little longer. So, so I think if we share our weaknesses to each other a little bit more, share our vulnerabilities, then it's not like there's a class of superheroes out there. It's we're all human. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Engage with this most beautiful world. Enjoy yourself in the world and do something to leave it a better place. Thank you for that. Mawira. Celia, it's been a real honour to um, watch your practice uh, over the years and in your mayoralty and then in the environmental space, you make such a considerable difference. We're really lucky that you decided to move to New Zealand. Thank you for doing that. Thanks for everything that you do and the way that you inspire people to to make the world a better place. And, uh, and thanks for joining us today. Well, and thanks for taking the time. And I really look forward to now listening to your other podcast. Thank you for that. Thank you, Chef. listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. 
We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Rocky Horror Picture Show's Science Fiction. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani, and at the edge of the Tararuas, we've been joined by Celia Wade-Brown. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.